Uh, we are in the middle of the Advent season, so Merry Christmas, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to have these candles lit and these trees up? But what is your guys' favorite thing about Christmas? Who is all about the music? Like Christmas music's your favorite thing about Christmas. Anybody? Okay, we got like three, four, five people. What about Christmas movies? Who's watched like five or more Hallmark Christmas movies already? Yeah, there's a few. Or what about, I was just speaking to uh, Trinity Christian School, and I just asked this question. I said, what is the best Starbucks mug? And a girl, like, right away, she's like, not even a debate. What is it, the white one with the green leaves? Yeah, yeah is that everybody's favorite? Yeah, Tracy agrees. Okay, so it's some people's favorite Christmas mug. My favorite thing about Christmas is that it's one step closer to my birthday. Any other December babies here? Huh? A few? Uh, next week is my birthday, which is the 13th of December, and it is the Christmas, like the youth Christmas party. You know, this is my way of just tricking people to attend my birthday. Then I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to put a youth event on my birthday. I'm going to tell everybody to bring a $10 gift for a gift exchange. Uh, but little do they know, I'm just going to take them home afterwards. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, and I'm excited to spend my birthday with, with youth. Uh, this is the Advent season. The Christmas season is one of, of waiting and expectation. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been lighting these candles and expecting and anticipating a king. And instead of a typical Advent series, we've actually been just going through miracles of Jesus in the book of John. Miracles that point towards Jesus. Most times in the Gospels, miracles, uh, it is used in the Greek two words, teres and dunamis. I hope I say those words right when I say them. Um, but dunamis, the, the English word that comes from there is actually dynamite. That a miracle is explosive, it's powerful, it makes an impact, okay? That is what miracle is mainly throughout the Gospels, except in the the book of John. John uses a word that is a little bit different, and he uses um, Samian, 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 Matt, correct me, Samian, Samian, okay, he uses Samian, I'm hearing many different things, Uh, but the way you pronounce the word is not important. What is, is the meaning, and the meaning is, it's not this dynamite, it's not this explosion, it is a sign. It is a sign that points towards uh, something greater than just the miracle itself. Last week we talked about, um, we talked about, Um, a blind man being healed, that it was not really about the blind, like the physical healing and the big, like, um, wow, and amazement, even though that is amazing, uh, it was that this man could actually see both spiritually and relationally as well as, as well. Signs are to point towards something, and it is important to follow the signs. Let's watch this video as an example to that. It's a very good point to make. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up 
to the right, bear right over the bridge and hook up with 307. Make a right. Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. yelling. There's no lake here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for leeches. Michael, are you okay? Swim for it. I got you. I got you. Michael, Michael, let go. Let go of me. Come on. I got you. I know at the end it just like it just sits in that awkward humor, but I think that's hilarious. There's a couple of people that continued to giggle. Everybody else was was silent. Uh, this video, I'm like, yeah, this is hilarious and it's funny, but this same thing, not exactly the same, almost happened to Angel and I. Uh, the first time we were driving from Calgary to Saskatchewan, where my family camps. Never been there before. Well, we've been there before, but I've never taken that highway because this is a new way that we were driving and we're following the GPS. So we're following this GPS, and like there comes a point in the road where it was like, the GPS was like, turn left. But if you look straight, you can see the signs to where the lake is, okay? But the kilometers on the sign were a lot more than the kilometers on the GPS. So I thought, this GPS knows a shortcut. And we followed the GPS uh, in the middle, basically, of a field through dirt roads, massive puddles. And then the road, I was like, nope, they know. This thing knows a shortcut until it was completely closed down by trees laying on top of it. That I was like, okay. And we had to turn all the way around, and it lost us an entire hour. Um, so I was like, but it was really tough, because at what point do you admit that you were wrong? Uh, <laughs> Or do you just follow it through all the way? Uh, that there is something that is important about signs instead of just following uh, the eternal GPS that we have going on sometimes. That I think this is what is happening here in the Advent season is that Israel and, and God's people and people in general, that they are continuously following the GPS, uh, hoping that it is pointing them in the right direction that they've put their trust in kings of this world, that they put their trust in the rules and the laws, hoping that that is what's going to point them towards God. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes as a sign that points them in the right direction, that doesn't point them or lead them into a middle of the lake, which seemed to happen over and over and over again if we read our Old Testament, but it actually Jesus comes to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to point you in the right direction, and I'm going to point you... To God. So that's what we're talking about. Signs. Last week I said, Chris talked about the sign of healing of the blind man. Today we're going to be spending time in John chapter 6, starting at verse 14. So you guys have these in your words to live by. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open those up and follow along there as well. We're going to be jumping, we're going to be reading and spending time in the John account, but we're also going to be jumping back and forth a little bit between the Matthew and Mark account as well. So those are the little footnotes at the bottom of your words to live by, um, because uh, the Gospels, right, we've got four Gospels that tell us of the life of Jesus. 
And in there, there are the same stories uh, that are retold and just have different points that come out of them. So that's why we're going to be spending time uh, jumping back and forth a little bit. But let me read John chapter 6, starting at verse 14 to 21. This uh, happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not going to focus on that miracle because that's what we're going to be focusing in on next week. So come back next week to hear more about that. Uh, But this is right after Jesus feeds and teaches, right, these 5,000 men plus women and children. He says, when the people saw him do the miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon, a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified, but he called to them, do not be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat And immediately, they arrived at their destination. So at the beginning of this story, we have, um, we've got this fascinating thing. So Jesus did this miraculous, what does it say? Miraculous sign, right? He did this miraculous sign, uh, and people saw this miraculous sign, and they wanted to make him king. And isn't that what Jesus is here for? Jesus is here to be king. When we look at the Christmas story and we see why was Jesus such a threat is because he was to be the new king of the Jews. That when we look at the story that people wanted to make Jesus king by force, that we think, well, isn't that good? Isn't that why Jesus came here anyways, was to be king? But Jesus slips away and he, yeah, he gets away from that situation. Why? Because Jesus came here to be king, um, but not in the way that people expected Instead of a king who is sitting on a throne and giving commands and rules and ruling by force, he came to establish a kingdom that looks a little bit more like yeast instead of the kingdom of this world, that it starts small, that it's small, but it permeates and it spreads and it grows and it makes a massive impact. That that's what he came here to establish. His kingdom is not of this world, but one that is different. One that looks very similar uh, to these signs and these wonders that Jesus did. One that looks more like, not by ruling by force, but one that looks like the life that Jesus, that Jesus lived. So when they wanted to make him king by force, he fled. Even though we call him king, he didn't come to be king that way. But it says that he slipped away into the hills by himself. If we just read the John account, we wonder, why did Jesus just slip off, go to the hills all by himself? Maybe he's somebody like me that just really enjoys hiking. You know, he's just like, I need to go for a walk, that I need to go for a hike. Maybe he was just sick of the people around him. Maybe Peter said one too many things that got on his nerves, and he's like, see you later, I need to go for a walk. Um, But when we actually look into the account in the book of Matthew, it tells us what he was doing, and I'll just read this one quickly. It tells us what he was doing. Uh, It says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there, and he was there alone. What was Jesus doing? He was praying. But what was he praying about? 
We read this and we see this happen multiple times in the Gospels, but what was Jesus praying about? Uh, the Bible, it says often that Jesus was a man of prayer, that he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. Uh, and there are a few times in Scripture that it tells us that Jesus, either he went away at night to pray or he woke up early to pray. What was he praying about? I'm just going to give a few examples because there's lots in the Bible. There's, there's, a, there's a time in Mark chapter 135 that Jesus sneaks away to pray. Right after he prayed, he went out the next day and he did these miracles and he, and he healed the man with leprosy. There's another time in Luke 6, 12 that Jesus goes and he disappears to pray. Right after he prays, he picks the 12 disciples. We have this case that Jesus went away to pray. What happens next is there is a storm, there is chaos, and there is crisis. And next, another one that we have is Mark 14, verse 32 and, and on, that Jesus is praying right before his own death. That Jesus was a man who prayed before things happened. Right? He was a man who prayed in times of big decisions. He was a man who prayed in times of ministry, a man who prayed in times of crisis, and a man who prayed in the darkest moments of his life, not in the middle of them, but he prayed beforehand. Why did he pray? Why was Jesus a man of prayer? And I think uh, John 5 gives us a little glimpse. I'm just going to read this for you guys. It says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That Jesus prayed to be connected to the Father. Jesus prayed to be connected uh, to God, to the Spirit, that everything that he did then flowed out of that. Because he only did what he saw the Father doing. Next, we see the story, and it picks up with the disciples. The disciples are just waiting there on shore, and they're waiting for Jesus. That Jesus, they saw him, you know, he did this miraculous sign, and all of a sudden he just slipped away and he was gone. And the disciples, they had a conversation with Jesus beforehand that we, we've got to go to Capernaum for the next day. So the disciples are waiting by the boat, and they're just like, I can just imagine, they're just like watching their clocks. Well, he's still, well, I don't think they had clocks uh, or watches, maybe like a sundial, that they're just waiting for Jesus to come. He doesn't come. He doesn't come. So they just pick up and leave him. You know, I, I kind of laughed when I read this, and I just thought, um, what if this happened on the Mexico trip? You know, we take students all the way down to Mexico in 15 pastor vans every spring break. What if somebody was just taking too long uh, at the bathroom break, and we're watching our clocks, not coming, not coming, so we just leave them there uh, and just say, hey, hope it goes well, and <laughs> just leave it. I don't think that would go over too well, um, but I get this picture, like the disciples are just like, ah, see you later, Jesus. Um, but I think what actually is happening is, I mean, I think Jesus did this thing a lot where he just slipped away, that he left, that he was gone. You see, this lake wasn't the lake that was too big to walk around, that Jesus could have walked around the lake. Maybe the disciples just thought, oh, Jesus must be just walking and he's going to meet us there. That the disciples are waiting and waiting and waiting and they look up and they see the sky and they realize, oh, those clouds are getting pretty dark. We probably should leave right now or we're going to get stuck in the middle of the storm. So they jump in to the boat and they start to go across the lake heading to Capernaum. But what happens? After a while, a storm comes says, uh, like, windy gales, that it wasn't just, uh, like, this light rain, but this was a heavy, heavy storm that hit the disciples. 
and they were stuck in it. And I can just imagine what's going through their heads, that they are paddling and paddling. The waves are almost tipping the boat over. There's almost more water inside the boat than outside of the boat, and they're, they're shoveling it out. They're bucketing it out, that they're paddling, that they are tired and exhausted and spent. And it says um, that the disciples were there for a long time. When we look in the Matthew account too, it says that they were a couple miles out in the John account, but in the Matthew account it says this. It says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. The disciples saw him walking on the lake and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Um, they were out there till the fourth watch of the night. So what is the fourth watch of the night? Um, when you actually look at the new translations, they don't include this because they realize, hey, that's something that probably people don't really understand. But the fourth watch of the night, it was this, this Roman language of basically the night shift, that they didn't want one person taking over the entire night because you get tired and you fall asleep. So there is the first watch, second watch, third watch, and the fourth watch of the night. And the fourth watch of the night was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So it said the disciples left in the evening and they were stuck there till 3 or 6 in the morning battering through the storm. That they were there from somewhere between 9 to 12 hours stuck in the middle of this lake in the storm, waiting for help. And it says that they were terrified, right? In the John account, it says that they saw, um, right? They, they saw a ghost, they said, walking on the water, and they were terrified, right? They were completely terrified by the storm already. But when we look at what does a ghost represent, especially in, in Jewish tradition at night, that it means disaster, that it means disaster. That all, everything they thought about this storm was coming true, that they weren't going to make it through when they saw the ghost. When we look at this, uh, not just the ghost, but also when we look at the water and what the water represents in the Old Testament, we can really understand what is going on here. When we look at what does water mean, water always meant chaos and destruction. Especially deep, like deep water, seas, uh, oceans, that those meant destruction because there's so much mystery what's going on underneath that they don't know what's going on. So chaos and destruction. When we look at Genesis 2, or 1-2, it says this, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. That darkness covered the deep waters. Psalm 69-2, it says, deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold, and I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. In Psalm 77, 19, it says, You split the seas by your strength and smashed the head of the sea monsters. You crushed the head of the Leviathan. The Leviathan is the monster of the deep, representing that chaos and destruction. So they were stuck in the middle of chaos and destruction, and a ghost shows up and just um, confirms everything they were thinking, that disaster is going to happen. But what happens next? That ghost speaks. And he says, do not be afraid. That Jesus comes and he is walking on the water. That right away I can imagine this is just like playing in their heads that they just start to think about the Old Testament and some of the things that it speaks about God over water. Even in that Genesis 1-2, it said darkness, right? Darkness covered the deep waters. But then right after it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. 
I just find this amazing. Amazing. This is what's happening right here. Jesus is doing this retelling of what's going on in the creation story, right? That the Holy Spirit, that God is on top of the chaos and destruction. It says in Psalm 77, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a path uh, no one knew was there. Jesus walking on water is a crazy miracle, right? It is that dynamite and like, if I ever saw somebody walking on water, I would be completely amazed. But it's not just the amazement and the power. What is happening here is the sign, right? It is, it is a sign and it is symbolic that God, God is control, in control of the uncontrollable things in our lives. That God is in control of chaos, that he is in control of destruction, that he is in control of disaster, that that is what's being said in this story. Now this story I'm going to share next isn't found in the John account, but again in, in the Matthew account. And this is where Peter decides to get out of the boat. So we're going to pick it up and let's read it. Matthew 14 27 to 33, it says this, But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. This story... There's three accounts in the Gospels that Jesus walking on water is in. Matthew is the only account where Peter walks on water. There are people who think, well, you know what? If this is the only time, out of three accounts, if this is the only time that this one shows up, then maybe it was something that was added later on for effect. That maybe it was a story that what didn't really happen, but it was added on later. I don't think that's true. I think that that actually shows that it is more real, that Peter later on, he is, he is said to be uh, the rock in which I will build my church, that he is a leader of the church, that if the people were putting together the scripture and the Bible, wouldn't you want to leave out, hey, come follow me, by the way, our leaders are failures, right? Like, wouldn't you want to leave that out? So that's what we're having here. Peter, this leader of the church, that I actually think it speaks to more validity to the story, that Peter, who is um, this leader of the church, that he is one of the disciples, that he failed. And I think in our lives, just like Peter, that there are times and moments in our lives where we fail too. I hate doing new things because I don't know if I'm good at them. Anybody else like that? Like if somebody wants to play a new board game, I'm like, nope, because I'm afraid I'm not going to be good at it and I don't want to fail. That this is this deeply embedded thing in my own life. Um, And we're afraid of failures. Because our failures could easily sink us in sin and in shame. But instead, when we see Jesus, and what's his response to Peter's failure? As soon as as Peter looks around and he sees the waves, uh, what does Jesus do? He immediately reaches down and pulls him back up. That we don't have to to sink in our sin and shame. Instead, we are offered a Savior. We don't have to hang our heads in shame and regret. Instead, 
of replaying the lowlights of our failure, we can actually replay the highlights of Christ's forgiveness. We don't need to be afraid of fear. We don't need to allow the fear to control our lives and place our identity in it because Jesus pulls us right out. So this leads me uh, to four questions. So I just want to conclude with four questions for us this morning. So in this story so far, we've seen a story that is not just a miraculous thing, but it is a, it is a story that is a sign that points us to Jesus, that it points us to his kingdom, not one of this world, but one that works inside the lives of people and spreads, um, but one that looks a lot like the way that he lived. Walking on water was Jesus is Lord, the Lord of our lives, the Lord of our storms, and the Lord of our failures, that he walks on chaos and disaster, that he is in charge of them. So the first question I want to ask you, uh, are you ready for the storm? Are you ready for the storm? Because Jesus was. Jesus was ready for the storm. Even before the storm and this chaos happened, he was gone praying that he was spending time with the Lord, that he was ready for that storm. Because here's something, storms are coming. Storms happen. Maybe you're in a storm season right now. But storms are coming. Are we, are we ready? And that's what I think this whole story that we have of Noah in the ark is all about. Noah was ready for the storm. Everybody looked at him and they mocked him and they laughed at him, but he was ready for the storm. So when the rains came, he built this boat uh, and that made it through the storm. Maybe you're somebody that you're like, oh, you know what, like praying and reading my Bible, that yeah, sure, there are sometimes that uh, mocking and making fun of, or maybe this feels uncomfortable, um, but we even just look at the story of Moses that, or sorry, of Noah, that he was ready for the storm. Jesus was ready for the storm. Are we ready for the storm? Because far too often, and this is what I do in my life, uh, when things are going good, I can just rely on myself. But as soon as something difficult happens, that's when I jump to prayer. But what if we were people, instead of waiting for something bad to happen before we pray, what if we were people who prayed first and were ready for the storm? Next one. Are you on the fourth watch of the night? That are you somebody who is on the fourth watch of the night? And let me explain this one a little bit. That the disciples were out there paddling in exhaustion, they were tired. They thought they were going to die. Then they saw a ghost, and they for sure knew they were going to die, uh, that they were going through an incredibly, incredibly difficult moment, that I don't just think this is this physical storm, but I think it's representing the storms and the difficulties that we face in our life. Um, so maybe you're somebody here who is walking through a storm. Maybe your storm's name is anxiety. You're somebody who, who deals and suffers with anxiety, that, you're, that you never feel at peace and you're, you're always thinking and worrying about the next thing. Maybe your storm is called depression, that you feel like you're stuck in and you can't get out. Maybe there's been death or sickness in the family. And I know that that is an incredible real one this Christmas season, that it can bring up so many different memories uh, maybe that is something that you're, you're in right now, or sickness in your own life, the loss of a job, maybe a broken relationship, financial uh, difficulties, or maybe disappointment. 
that maybe you're somebody who's here that is stuck in the storm. Um, six years ago, I felt like I was at the fourth watch of the night. That I am, I am somebody that, that deals and struggles with anxiety. Uh, that there was a season in my life that it overtook me so much that I, was, I felt like a shadow of the person that I, that I am. Um, that I just didn't feel myself cons- constantly sick, uh, didn't ever want to be around people. That it was one of those moments where I truly did feel like I was at the fourth watch of the night. Until I finally admitted, I don't need to do this by myself. I can bring other people into the mix. I can bring other people into my storm that I can invite Jesus into my storm and has a storm. Uh, you know what? There's still times that it feels like it's raining, to be honest, right? There are still times that it feels like it's raining, but there is something completely drastic that has happened when I realized I was at the fourth watch of the night and I invite, invited Jesus into the boat. Sometimes we need to go through the storms to make it to our destination, not alone, but with Jesus in the boat. Does that make sense? All right, third question. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you feel like, like Peter, where you are stuck in failure and in failure. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was watching our daughter, Lucy. Lucy is a year and a half, and she, was, she can be really difficult at times. Parenting is tough. Uh, but there's one time that she is just sitting in the high chair and I'm giving her food and she's like, whatever I gave her, she would take it and throw it on the floor and she's screaming. Uh, and then I just looked at her and I was like, Lucy, shush. Like I was just frustrated. I'm like glad it was only shush that came out. Um, but I said, shush. And then she looks at me with this face and she, she looks at me and says, shush. And you know, I know that that's like a funny moment and a funny story, but there is something that real that happened there, that there has been lots of moments already, and Lucy is only a year and a half, that I have felt like a failure as a parent. Like there are ways that I have responded and the ways that I have acted out of either being tired or anything like that, uh, that I've already felt like a failure, that I know that this is a big thing and this is a big weight that's on me, that maybe you are somebody who is, that you feel like a failure as a parent. Maybe you feel like a failure in relationships with friendships, or even in, in marriage that you feel like a failure, or maybe even at work that you just, uh, yeah, that you feel like a failure, that you aren't good enough. Maybe that's at sports or health. Maybe you've had health goals that you're just unable to reach. Uh, maybe that's finances, school. Maybe it's not living up to what you see other people being like. And this one, I work with youth, and I think this is a huge thing, that often we see people's lives on social media in other ways that we look at it and we think, I can never be like that. And instantly, what's being embedded in your head is that you're a failure. Now, maybe you feel like a failure because you can't live up to it. Or maybe you even feel like a failure at religion. That you're sitting here at church and you're like, I don't even know if I'm good enough. That if somebody asked me to pray, I'm like hiding. That I don't feel like I am good enough. That I think that is a lie that we need to overcome because it's not about religion and these acts that we do. But we can quit, quite easily even feel like a failure here at church. Uh, we've all made mistakes and we've all failed. But it's not our failures that define us. Uh, when we look at Peter and what happened in this story that Peter, he was looking at Jesus and he was walking on the water, but as soon as he lost sight of Jesus and he started to look around at all the other things that are going on in life, when he actually started to look at the storm that's going on, that is when he started to sink. But what is Jesus' response in that? He immediately pulls him out of the water. So there are times uh, that we are all going to feel like a failure. It happens. 
But how do we respond to that failure is big because we can get so stuck in it and replay that failure over and over and over again in our heads. But what does it look like to actually accept Jesus' hand and let him to pull us up out of that failure? We hear often, uh, believe, 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 believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. But I don't think we hear it often enough that Jesus believes in you. That Jesus believes in you. In you, He knows that you can do it and he places this identity of a child and a loved one in place of that failure. May you believe in God, but may you come to see that God believes in you. My last question is, are you providing shelter from the storm? Are you providing shelter from the storm? A couple summers ago, Angel and I, we went on a camping trip where we had uh, this tent, and this tent was like starting to fall apart, and we're sleeping uh, in the tent, and all of a sudden, a storm came, started to rain, lightning, wind. The tent actually ripped, like the top, like it was really old, and rain started to come in, right? So the storm was coming into where we were, so what did we do? We got up, and we fled into the camper where my family was, and we stayed there because that was better shelter. Are we... Are we as people, are we being shelter from the storm? One of my favorite artists is, is Bob Dylan. His lyrics, like every time I listen to the songs, it just gets me. Uh, and I just want to read some lyrics from you from one of his songs called Shelter from the Storm. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. I was burnt out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes, and blown out on the trail. Hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Not a word was spoken between us. There was little risk involved. Everything up to that point had been left unresolved. Try imagining a place where it's always safe and warm. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. That's what I envision the church. That's what I envision my, that's what I want to be as a person. That's what I want my family to be, is a place of shelter from the storm. Uh, Last summer when Angel and I, we were camping, and again, another camping story, uh, it, it was not sunny any, like I think we had maybe one day out of the seven days that we were there was sunny. One of those days we were sitting on the beach trying to get a suntan, you know, trying to get that glow, and we're sitting there trying to get the suntan, and it's like sunny, everybody gets the same idea, but like every single day, all of a sudden a, a cloud comes over, and it starts to rain and pour. I was somebody who was bitter, and I'm like, I'm going to wait this out, it's not going to last long, but anybody with common sense, uh, picked up, ran to the shelter. Everybody waited for the storm to stop, but they picked up all of their stuff because they didn't want to get it wet. They ran out of the storm and they ran towards shelter and that's where they stood. That's what I envision this community. That's what I envision this church. When there are storms and failures going on in people's lives, that when they come into this family, that it is not a place that they run away from, but it's a place that they run to because they, knew that, they know that it's going to give shelter. But that's what I want for my life. That's what I and dream and envision for this church is a place where people run to, that it is a beacon in this community and it makes a difference in this community. And that's what I love so much about this movie night we had on Friday, that it was this beacon of joy and hope in this Christmas season. Um, yeah. So where are we? 
So I just want to just take a look at these questions quickly. Um, and we're just going to spend like 30 seconds. And we're just going to ask God, like, where am I? And maybe if you like resonate right away with something where like, I feel like a failure, uh, then just actually ask God and just sit in it. Like, what areas of my life do I feel like a failure in? Because we just actually want to combat those lies with truth. But let's just spend some time. And I'm just going to ask God just to reveal. And we're just going to look at these questions for a little bit and let God actually speak to us. So, uh, God, I want to thank you for this. I thank you that you are one uh, who walks on water and calms the storms and you come towards us. But, God, as we just look at these um, because we know that we have to identify these things sometimes before there's healing that is brought. So, Lord, help us to identify um, maybe the storms that we're in or the failures that we're experiencing. So let's be prepared for the storm. Let's pray. I just want to pray and spend some time praying to Jesus. But if you are somebody who you feel like you were at the fourth watch of the night, that you feel like you are in a storm, that you are in a difficult season, uh, we will have prayer teams up during this last song. And just just come ask for prayer. Uh, That we believe that we do not have to do this thing alone, but that Jesus is in it. That it's something of just saying, and I'm going to pray this prayer, that Lord, I'm I'm tired of doing things on my own. I just want to invite you into my life. So if that's somebody, that if you're walking through that Uh, Just pray with me and invite Jesus into that moment. And if you feel like a failure, we just want to combat uh, that lie with truth of who you are. So, yeah, let's pray. God, we want to be prepared for the storms and the difficulties in our life uh, that we know and we want to follow you, that we want to be part of your kingdom. And we know that to be part of your kingdom and to know what your kingdom is all about, that we need to be people who spend time with you. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be ready and prepared for the storms and failures that happen in life that you pick us up and you walk us through. So, Lord, um, yeah, let us be prepared for that storm. And, God, I want to pray specifically for the people who are here uh, who are walking through a storm. Uh, That we know that for many, Christmas is a very exciting and joyous time. Um, But for, for lots, it's also a time of extreme difficulty as it brings back memories of past or brings up financial strain. But Lord, we just pray that we don't have to do this alone. That I know that there are people here that feel like they have been paddling for a long time, paddling, 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 that we can actually uh, look to the hope that you have. And this is something that's amazing. We don't have to do it ourselves. So God, I just want to say I'm tired of doing things on my own for continuously trying and trying and trying. But Lord, I just want to surrender my life to you and let you take control and invite you into the boat. God, maybe there's some people here who feel like failures, um, that, they, that they can't get anything right. God, I just want to pray against that. Uh, and I want to just pray identity. I want to pray hope. I want to pray life. I want to pray your peace and joy and love into that moment uh, that you actually say in that moment that I believe in you. Yeah, God, we just believe that you believe uh, in us and that we are your children, and that you put that above all these other things. Because anything in life worth trying, uh, we're going to fail in it. And that's okay. And that's good. So that we can grow and we can learn and be more like you. And God, help Sun West, help us to be shelter from the storm. That we truly believe that you are the only one that can calm the storm. 
We believe that. You are the only one who can calm the storm, um, but we can be a place where people can find shelter until that storm is passed. So God, we just pray that we, yeah, that we can be sheltered from the storm uh, in those people's lives around us, in this community, in this neighborhood, but also us as people, that we can be sheltered from the storm uh, with the relationships and the people that we know. God, we want to thank you for who you are and the ways that you change lives uh, and the ways, yeah, that you fill these lives with truth and you fill chaos and destruction, but you actually fill that with calm. Yeah, I want to thank you. Amen. Thanks, Colton, for that word. Um, are you ready for the storm? Are you on the fourth watch of the night? Do you feel like a failure? Are you providing shelter from the storm? I think those are great questions uh, for us to reflect on as individuals. I, th I think there's a, my guess is there's a question in there that fits for you, uh, one that, you know, God might be uh, putting on your heart. And I would invite you to explore that and to press into that. Uh, following the service, we invite you to come forward. Our prayer teams would love to pray for you. So, Father, we thank you that you give us signs, that you point us to uh, greater and greater depth of relationship with you, greater and greater freedom. Lord, that you're not content just leaving us as we are. You keep calling us forward. And, Lord, for those um, either caught in the storm or paddling through the storm, Lord, that you would give them courage, that you would refresh them this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, for those that have people in their lives that are in storms, I pray that uh, you would give us the strength and perspective uh, to be your presence in their life, to provide shelter in their storm. And Lord, I do thank you for Samaya. I thank you for what you're doing in her life. Um, but Lord, I thank you that that's also what you want to do in our life, to continue to draw us to yourselves. And so we just... Uh, say yes to that in Jesus' name. Amen.